Hey guys, and thank you for finding your way to Morgellons Discussion, the podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Murphy, and this show is about Morgellons facts. Uh, that is to say, what has been able to be demonstrated uh, for scientific purposes. So, if you hear me saying something about Morgellons disease on this show, it's got to be coming from the scientific world. It's been published in a prestigious journal, and the science, the experiments that went into producing that data are repeatable. So, if you're looking for factual information about the Morgellons disease condition, welcome to our show. And thank you for tuning in to Morgellons Discussion, the podcast on Anchor FM. I'm your host, Jeremy Murphy, and today we're going to talk about this great study that came out not too long ago and demonstrates something very important. One question I get from a lot of people is, is Bartonella associated with Morgellons? And that's exactly what this study clears up. There's a lot of misinformation online about uh, Bartonella. In particular, I've seen a neuroborreliosis uh, protocol, NB protocol. There's nothing scientific about that. And the person who's promoting that is anonymous. So that ought to tell you something right there. Here's what the science has to say. Patients and methods. Zero from 30 patients with MD were tested for antibody reactivity to antigens from the Borrelia burgdorferi group and the relapsing fever Borrelia group of spirochetes. Tissue and or body fluid specimens from these patients were also tested for the presence of BB and RFB infection using PCR technology. In addition, tissue and body fluid specimens were tested for the presence of Bartonella henselae using PCR, and formalin-fixed skin sections from a subset of patients were tested using fluorescent in-situ hybridization with Bartonella henselae-specific DNA probes. Results Zero reactivity to BB, RFB, or both was detected in 63% of the cohort, while positive PCR testing for BB, RFB, or both was detected in 53% of the cohort. Overall, 90% of patients tested positive for exposure and or infection with Borrelia spirochetes. Bartonella henselae infection was detected by PCR in skin sections or body fluids from 20% of the subjects, and Bartonella henselae fish testing was positive in 30% of the dermatological specimens submitted for study. Conclusion The study demonstrates an association between MD and positive tests for both BB and RFB spirochetes. In conjunction with previous studies, our study provides corroborative evidence linking MD to Borrelia infection and tick-borne illness. So you guys heard it right there. It said that 90% of people tested positive for Borrelia uh, and Borreliella, and only 30% at most tested positive for, well, 30 plus 20, let's just go ahead and throw that, say 50%. You can't assume an association if only 50% of your cohort is demonstrated to be host of that infectious agent. That's not how science works. So, is Morgellons associated with Bartonella? Looks like the science says no. So if you see somebody coming up, and I promise you, when you see this person, if you tell them no, the science says no, you're going to see them yelling, screaming, raising hell, 
you're probably going to want to block them because, <laughs> because they are seriously committed to this belief that Morgellons is in some way associated with Bartonella when it's very clear that the science demonstrates otherwise. Hey, I also wanted to issue, I guess, a correction. I said back in the Greatest Imitator Syphilis podcast, which I'm going to post a link in the description below, that the CDC two-tier testing might produce a false positive for Lyme disease in a syphilis patient. I think, actually, I know that the ELISA can produce a false positive for syphilis, but I don't think that's the case for the Western blot. I think once they get to that second part of the two-tier testing, uh, that if it was syphilis, it would fail out there. I don't think a Western blot for Borrelia burgdorferi is going to produce a false positive in a syphilis patient. At the same time, however, I haven't researched this extensively to determine if that's the case or not. I was just thinking about it, and I was like, well, that Western blot is very specific for that spirochete. So I'm not so certain that if a person does go through the two-tier process, that they would necessarily go full circle with the full uh, CDC criteria or field criteria for Lyme diagnosis. Now, on the other hand, I do think a lot of physicians will take just the ELISA results and run with that. When the ELISA results can even produce a false positive in light of an Epstein-Barr infection. Good news is, just recently, there was a new syphilis test that was produced and manufactured. I'm not sure if it's ready to be distributed yet. Early results seem to indicate that it is way more sensitive than the current VDRL and RPR test, both of which will produce a false negative for a active syphilis infection in the early and very late stages of the disease. I'm making this up. I'll post links in the description below so y'all can see it too. Another thing I wanted to talk about was the spirochete morphology. Now, I've been looking at this recently, and it seems to me that there is a big difference between Borreliella and Borrelia and treponema. It seems to me that Borreliella looks like a limp noodle compared to relapsing fever Borrelia and syphilis. I don't think that Borrelia, you know, unless you can show me some different pictures of Borrelia burgdorferi that I haven't seen, I don't think that Borrelia burgdorferi has the drilling capacity that its more notorious cousin syphilis or Borrelia tick-borne relapsing fever are capable of achieving with those more tightly wound coils and longer spirochetes. Like I said, Borrelia looks like a wet noodle to me. I can understand how it can cause an arthritic knee, but I don't at the same time think that individuals who are presenting with especially severe debilitating health conditions are solely infected with Borreliella. Uh, I think it's highly likely that they have a multitude of pathogens, which is the natural existence of bacteria in um, polymicrobial colonies. So I think that there needs to be some better testing, which can not only look for these specific pathogens, but can determine the composition of biofilm colonies. Find out how many different kinds of species are chucked up in that biofilm and not in just one place in the body, but anywhere that a biofilm could potentially be harbored. I think it is possible for us to elicit these infections, maybe not with the technology we have today, but definitely not with the process we have today. Now, I think I know for a fact that doctors are not performing differential diagnosis to rule out these infectious diseases. 
And I don't understand why we place such, such a high importance on our public microbiology agencies when we're not even going to consider the evidence that they're able to produce. We have the NIH, we have the CDC, and we know that these diseases are real. So why aren't doctors considering them in their differential diagnosis, especially for behavioral concerns? We could prevent so much disaster if doctors just were more well-educated about other possible causative agents besides the patient having something that can't be elicited wrong in their head. What do you guys think? Feel free to leave me a message. Uh, if, <laughs> if you do leave me a message, please let me know if I can feature you on my show because I, I won't do it without your permission otherwise. That's just the way I try to operate. Hey, if you guys like this show, definitely share it out with your friends. I appreciate y'all making time to tune in every day, and we'll try to keep up with the quality content regarding Morgellons disease. Regarding Morgellons disease. Regarding Morgellons disease. Regarding Morgellons disease. I got it that last time. See ya! See ya!